From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Good morning, Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett. Today we are getting ready to take a bite out of 2020. We're going to talk about the brand new year and what we can look forward to in our kitchen and on our tables. We'll be talking about what's up with food, New Year's trends, New Year's resolutions, ours, yours, what your New Year's resolutions are regarding food. We're not talking about losing weight or eating healthy. We're talking about mastering a new skill or learning something old, like an old family recipe that you have been reluctant to try. Give us a call. Join the conversation as we hit the reset button and dive into 2020. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. It's a beautiful morning. I think I'll go good morning, good morning. It is a beautiful morning. I believe that's... Um, the, li- the Little Rascals. It's the Rascals. Yeah, they're yeah. great. My brother Hal loved The Little Rascals. I love that song. But but uh, Young Rascals. They started out as Young Rascals and then later became Came known the as Rascals. The Rascals. I booked them one time at Jubilee Jam. Great song. Welcome to 2020, Carol. It's a brand new decade, a brand Good new year. Good morning and Happy New Year, Malcolm. How are you feeling? I'm feeling like it's a brand new year, and like Farmer Jim Neal said about the day, is it's a brand new day. It's never been used before. Ah, let's get started. So the holidays, as we know them, are over. We are. Thank now. goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you ready to get back to well, normal or some sense of normal? Wh- whatever that is. But uh, we weren't <clears throat> we weren't live all during the holidays, so we're glad to be back. We are live. And we would love to hear from you if you are a listener to Deep South Dining, if you are a foodie, or if you're interested in uh, conversations around food, if you have New Year's resolutions that relate to uh, your eating and cooking uh, and dining habits, uh, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, we're here. Carol and I are going to do the whole show just between the two of us. So, Carol, how's it going? It's going great, Mal. Um since Christmas, I don't know, it's been confusing all these days, and I always think like Thursdays, Monday, and everything, yeah. but I've I've spent a lot of time cooking. How about you? Yes. Um, I think that's one of the things about downtime is that you have a lot more time to spend in the kitchen. Uh, it's You don't have to rush. You don't have to, you know, plan meals and prepare and, and get ready to go to work. You can just uh, take your time and do some slow cooking and and cook some things. We we had a great time at our house, uh, having company over, family over, cooking big meals, cooking small meals. And, you know, I am the king of leftovers. And so this is a glorious, glorious time for me. My refrigerator is still full of leftovers, and I couldn't be happier. Well, I accept that challenge because I'm the queen of leftovers. <laughs> So I have to have a refrigerator dual off. But you know, I've never met a turkey carcass I didn't, didn't use love. and bring out. Yeah. That's uh, one thing I cooked over the holidays was turkey bone soup. And? And, you know, I just take them in. It was actually the Thanksgiving turkey. I had just, mm-hmm. you know, taken it and thrown it in the freezer. And while I had time during the holidays, 
you know, got out a uh, cleaver. I mean, it was my kitchen machete. You had at it. (laughs) (laughs) Had at it, uh, made stock, turkey stock. And before that, you picked the turkey off off the bones. I mean, the car, it was already pretty clean, Mm -hmm. but I mean, you can get. You think it's clean. You do until you got, I've got like two or three cups of. Of you know, really sweet good, meat. Good, I call that the sweet meat, the meat next to the bones. I think, well, as they say, tenderest at the bone. That's right. But um, I, made, I made a wonderful turkey soup. I guess I've been making for thirty years that I got out of Jane Brody's cookbook. I think back in the seventies or eighties, hmm. she still writes for the New York Times, and you know, a lot of her recipes are on the on the healthier side. But this one is just wonderful. It has, I mean, it has the flavor of marjoram in mm-hmm. it that adds just a little something extra. And then you finish it off pouring either rice or barley in to boil with the soup. And, you wow. know, just the little pearls of barley, I love barley. give it a, a great flavor. And then with the Christmas turkey, I'm, I'm going to do turkey hash, which is a favorite of my partner, John Palmer, and... I've tried the turkey hash from the 21 Club in New York. They have a real famous turkey hash. But the one that I found that he likes the best, this is an old-timey turkey hash from Good Housekeeping Cookbook back in the 60s. Okay. And it and it's with milk, and you can, uh, you know, you reduce it down, and then you can put it over mashed potatoes or rice or toast. So those are my leftovers. How about yours? Well, we made a lot of soup. Um, we made chicken and leek soup. Um, you know, our actual meal uh, on New Year's Day uh, was Swiss chard, uh, a black-eyed peas salad. I chose to make a salad rather than a, a pot of peas. And then I cooked a pot of boxcar lima beans, which they're the the big, extra-large white lima beans. And my grandmother, uh, Atsy Taylor, White, um, we called her Pat. She made this every Sunday at her house. She she ran a little boarding house, and so she would cook these big meals. Is this down in Stone County? Yeah, in I'm trying to get the visual. Yeah, Wiggins. Okay, right there in downtown Wiggins. But she would make these boxcar lima beans with ham and cornbread and what we called a wet salad, which is a salad sort of like a chopped salad tossed with mayonnaise and and lemon juice. We we serve this still today at Highland Mouse, and we call it a wet salad. But we would have this meal almost every Sunday. I love these beans, and uh, you have to cook them till they're soft. And for the ham this year, I used leftovers uh, from our Christmas dinner using the uh, Virginia country ham that Rob Norris brought us from Richmond, Virginia. Who so, would be your father-in-law. That's right. So we had uh, Virginia country ham and boxcar lima beans, uh, as well as the Swiss chard. And we did not cook a turkey this year. We, we cooked a, um, a roast, a, a standing rib roast with a nice uh, horseradish and mustard sauce. So we did a little different, but uh, but we got our peas on New Year's Day in. Uh, we got our beans, uh, and, and we got our uh, Swiss chard. You know, I you? saw the picture of your lima beans on Facebook, and they looked absolutely fabulous. It looked like it, it had been cooked for hours and hours. And they were. What I did was I brought them, I put them on, 
I brought them to a boil, and then I turned them on low and let them just sort of sit there for a while and then shut them down, put them in the refrigerator, and the next day I actually worked on my seasoning and getting them uh, cooked to the uh, to the softness and that I wanted, and I sort of creamed them a little bit because I like a creamy. Um, and how do you do that? I take a few of the beans and mush them up and put them back in, <clears throat> and it creates a thickening in your uh, pot liquor. Well, you know, I was um, looking up some research on peas and beans recently, and I saw that lima beans were first cultivated like 6,000 years ago in Peru. Wow. That's why they're called lima beans, because it was near Lima. Wow. Well, that's good info to have. Yeah, and I I was reading about black-eyed peas. You remember John Edgerton, the great food writer and food historian. You're not going to believe this. I just wrote his name down on my notes because I was going to tell you a John Edgerton story. But you tell yours first. Well, it's not really. But John Edgerton uh, just was such a great historian of, of Southern food. And, you know, he said that. That the South can't claim the origin of black-eyed peas on New Year's Day, but it it became our tradition. And black-eyed peas, as a symbol of luck, were you know even recorded uh, in, in the Bible in five hundred uh, five hundred BC, and they are still uh, yeah, eaten during Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New uh-huh. Year. Right. Well, that's great history to know. What what, what I was going to say about John Edgerton, first of all, his, his book about Southern food is a definitive work. Absolutely. And if you're interested in Southern food, the John Edgerton book is a must. But I had the great pleasure of serving on a committee with Edgerton to actually make a John Edgerton Award for the Southern Foodways Alliance. And we would meet in outside of Atlanta every year, and John always would hold court. And he was a delightful human being. And great to work with. But I just found yesterday, I was cleaning out my basement, and I found an old cookbook that John Edgerton and his family would give away at Christmas of family recipes. And I brought it upstairs, and I was showing it to Kara. And uh, so I thought, well, this is great. You know, it just popped up. And I started looking. They're old family recipes that they put into a very inexpensive binder, but they're wonderful stories and, and wonderful recipes. So, yeah, here's to the great John Edgerton. What a great gift, and I would sure sure love to see that. I'll sh- yeah, I'd be happy to but share you know, it. Black-eyed peas and collard greens are luck and prosperity, and I know you chose Swiss chard this right. year. Uh, it is your green of the year. We went global. Of course you did, but um, black-eyed peas and cornbread, cornbread represents gold, wow. so there are lots of ways you can do it. Well, we would love to hear from listeners uh, out there if you want to call us and talk to us uh, about your New Year's resolutions relating to uh, things you want to do differently, new things you want to give a shot, old recipes that you want to uh, bring out and and give it it another run. It is 2020, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. The number, of course, is 1-877-672-7464, or you can shoot us an email at food at mpbonline.org. That's food at mpbonline.org. And Carol and I will be happy to answer any questions that we can. We'd love to hear from you, things that you're cooking, big ideas that you have, recipes you want to share. We're going to take a short break here on Deep South Dining, and we'll be right back. Carol Puckett and Malcolm White 
Happy Monday, y'all. Bears heavy on my mind. Then I look at you. And the world's alright with me. Just one look at you. And I know it's gonna be a lovely Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing the leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett. And today is Monday, and the holidays have passed, and folks, we are staring directly at the year 2020. Welcome, and we hope that you uh, are excited about that. We are. Uh, we have a lot of great things ahead that we want to visit about and share. Uh, we have New Year's resolutions, uh, not so much about losing weight and working out more and, and that, but we're real interested. Although I certainly need that. Well, we all do. We're interested in trends, uh, the, the 2019 trends, the 2020 trends. Uh, you know, some commitments to doing things. Uh, Carol, I think you have a, a resolution you want to share. Malcolm, I'm keeping it simple this year. I am going to learn to make biscuits, by golly. You know, I've I've tried before and just never could quite get to the consistency I needed. And so I got discouraged and I started buying frozen biscuits again, but no more. You had it. Not in not in 2020. And, you know, I put that out on Facebook the other day asking other people's resolutions. I've got a lot of company, including your wife, who said she wanted to learn to make uh, good biscuits, too. So I support that. I think it's a I think it's a a, a thing. Well, and I think what I want to do is start having more gatherings, more friends and family gatherings, uh, and getting more people over to our house uh, and cooking for them. Uh, so, And so sitting around that beautiful table. That beautiful table that came from uh, the northern neck of Virginia up around the Chesapeake. Uh, Kara's family, her father's family's from that part of the world. Uh, we inherited this beautiful, beautiful wood table that uh, sits in our dining room and it and it cries for company and every time i walk past it i think we need more people sitting here and uh, we 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 do eat out there often but it's such a big table uh, that you need five or six seven people in there to really fill up the room and, and that table traveled i believe by u-haul all <laughs> all through the blue ridge and <laughs> yeah it came down the blue ridge uh, mountains there and uh, uh was delivered at our house long before we were finished uh renovating it so we had to get a pod and put the table in the pod until we could finish the house but it was the first thing that came out and was put inside our home once the um, painting and the, the floors and, and everything was done. We brought that table in, and it's just so handsome, and it's so appealing, and it's it's great to have it. When Kara's folks visit, they, they're they always uh, fond of seeing the old family table there in Jackson. You know, and that made me think the, uh, the biscuit bowl I have came from my great-great-grandmother, Rebecca, who also came from that area of Virginia, oh. and it 
this biscuit bowl made its way to Mississippi uh, in her wagon coming south. So by you know, by golly, I need to learn how to make biscuits in it. Well, I think you've got the pot, you've got the desire. Uh, and what more can there be? It's just that touch. You have to have a touch. Put aside some time and start and working get on it. the touch. Now, I'm not a great biscuit maker either. It's, you know, I think people who make really great biscuits are people who've been making them all of their lives, and they got the recipe and the technique from their parents or grandparents, and, and they, they think nothing of it. It's yeah, and almost, it's not really a recipe. It's, you, you, know, you take your liquid and your fat, and then they just like sweep. You know, sweet flour into it until mm-hmm. it feels right. The the feeling right is the part I need to get. Uh, but you know, back to your table. I have had many fine meals around your table over the years. And a New Year's Day this year, I was thinking about the years that you know you actually gathered. Uh, I was lucky enough to be one of one that you gathered uh, around your New Year's table. It was really a special thing. Yeah, we used to, you know, uh, there was New Year's Eve and there was Christmas and there was Thanksgiving and there was a lot of family. So I always chose New Year's Day uh, to invite friends over, um, couples, people who are single, people who, uh, you know, were great longtime friends. And, and and so for years we would have this gigantic New Year's Day meal and then watch some football or take a nap or go for a walk or whatever happened after that. But but New Year's Day is a really good time. It's not taken. New Year's Day is not taken except by football. But New Year's Day is available. Uh, Thanksgiving is family. Christmas is family. New Year's Eve is celebration. But New Year's Day is available uh, to have folks over and get a nice long visit in and, um, you know, enjoy the day and in, and the company. Yeah, and, and your New Year's resolution about uh, making more community around the table, I, I think that's, you know, that's that's one that's inherent in all of us. And, you know, I want to do that, that too. Uh, well, let's take a look at some of the, um, you know, popular uh, food resolutions that uh, – that are out there. Uh, one thing I saw uh, in doing a little bit of research, you're the master researcher here, but there was this thing that suggested that we try or buy a new vegetable every week and try a different vegetable. So There are plenty of new vegetables to try. Well, you were showing me one this morning, the, the uh, purple uh, Yeah, it's called potato. ubi. Ubi. Ubi is a Filipino yam, mm. and it's, it's purple. And it's all the rage. You know, it hadn't quite gotten to Mississippi yet. But it's on the way. On the East Coast and the West Coast, it's used in a lot of desserts. And one interesting thing I read about it is it became so popular here because it's Instagrammable. Right. That's important. The the Gen Z and millennial generation, you know, like for their food to be Instagrammable. And I'm putting uh, Instagram as a as a food trend too. But anyway, this this Filipino yam um, is used like for ice cream. It's used for puddings, uh, all kinds of desserts. It can, it can be used as a a starch too. But be looking for that at your nearest grocery store. And what grocery stores might have it? Would it be Whole Foods, Kroger? I mean, I, I don't would know. think a Whole Foods or Fresh Market fresh type. Market. I haven't, I haven't really seen it. Right. Um, yeah, you know, sometimes when you read f- food trends, you think that the food writer who who you're reading just kind of made something 
up that was interesting to them. But I read about this across all kinds of research and food writing and cookbooks. So, so we need to pay attention to some UBI, U-B-E. Yes, get your UBI on. It's coming, folks. Get ready for it. It is a purple yam coming from the Philippines, and it is primarily used as a dessert, but I guess also as a starch. So It is, and you know, when you're talking about using new vegetables, too, uh, a big trend is, is that chefs and food people are going to start using the vegetable is going to have much more uh, prominence. prominence. It's not going to be plate. a side anymore. It's not a side anymore. So you're going to see a lot more vegetables. Which leads us to uh, not a new trend, but a something that's been out there for a while, but you're hearing more and more about it, is Meatless Monday. Meatless Monday. Who it knew? actually, uh, it, it, it's a global movement. There's actually a Meatless Monday nonprofit. And people in over 40 countries are... Uh, following uh, Meatless Monday. And you know, I thought it was a new thing. I thought it was a trend. Um, I think the nonprofit really started back in the 90s. But the idea of Meatless Monday is over 100 years old. It, it dates back to the First World War. And it wasn't Meatless Monday. It was actually Meatless Tuesday. And then there was Wheatless Wednesday. But it was a way for Americans to you know, reserve the most precious of the basics for the right. troops. And then in World War II, uh, Roosevelt resurrected that idea and uh, named it Meatless Monday. And at one time, 15% of the population in the United States signed a pledge. I mean, actually signed a pledge to have uh, Meatless Mondays. For the cause. It was, it was all for the cause, yeah, for, for civic cause. engagement, civic pride. Uh, and and it's it's coming back now. It's it's a big thing, and really the the way it was revived is because all these studies. I think Johns Hopkins was one of the big ones. You know, said that Americans are eating fifteen percent more meat than we should. Oh, okay. And so when you break down your weekly eating, fifteen percent is like three meals. So Meatless Monday was resurrected, and it's it's becoming a big thing along with meal prep Sundays. Meal prep. I know. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, this, again, is the Gen Z and millennials. And the way they're so easy to measure because you can look at what hashtags are trending. Right. And there have been over 600,000. Now, we're not talking turkey hash. We're talking about hashtags. Hashtags. We're talking about the little hashtag in front of in front of words on Twitter and Facebook. Oh, That's yeah, how they those. say what's trending. But over 600,000 times meal prep Sunday mm. has come up. So they're staying home on Sunday, getting their kitchens organized and uh, another thing that that they're bringing to us are reusable containers really cool things to take your your meals to work take in. it to work and and hydration what a trend hydration yeah. malcolm is the big trend it, it's the biggest yeah hashtag hydration yeah <laughs> see, see what happens. but back now, to food resolutions we have had lots of listeners 
give us their food resolutions for 2020, and we got some good ones. You, did, you went on the Internet, and you posted, you know, share your food resolutions. Let's n- name a few that, that you got there, Carol. Okay. Well, uh, for Michael Potts from Jackson, it's learning to make gumbo. Very now, noble. It's and very, very noble. worthy. Very and, worthy. Uh, I know Michael loves gumbo, but it, I, we wish him well on learning to make it. There are lots of recipes out there and lots of styles of gumbo. Uh, Mona Nicholas said she wants to entertain friends more. Mm-hmm. She said to do that, she's going to have to cook more, and she's going to have to learn new recipes to keep it interesting. Yep, and we wish Mona well with that. Mona is... Uh, Runs our international ballet competition. We thank yes, her for does. participating in our online survey. How about our one and only buddy, Sally Killebrew, the Sal, now living in Oxford? Sal says she wants to learn to bake, and uh, this is a good thing because she's watched the British baking show. I happen to know this. I've seen the British she baking show. She watches baking shows, so it's time for her to learn. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Elizabeth Boyd up in Memphis mm-hmm. says that she wants to do meal prep rather than throwing stuff together at the last minute. Well, I like throwing stuff together, but I understand the reason to organize. Makes sense. Let's see. Let's oh. see. Brenda Trigg from Picayune says she's using a different spice and different food combinations, getting out of the old cooking rut. This makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we don't you want know, to be in the cooking Try a new rut. vegetable. Try a new herb. Try a new spice. Stretch out a little bit. There are cookbooks full of big ideas, and the Internet itself uh, has information uh, everywhere about using new techniques, new recipes, new ingredients. All right. Come back. We'll talk more about uh, 2020 ahead, food resolutions, trends, what's going on in your kitchen at your table. Feel free to give us a call. 1-877-672-74 or just listen and learn. We'll be back. This is Deep South Dining with Malcolm White and Carol Puckett. One of the things we're going to talk about when we come back is the great pot roast cook-off between Robert St. John and myself. I remember it well. We're going to talk about that. This is Deep South Dining. Take a little break. Be back soon. Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett and Java Chapman behind the board, the master 
in the control room. Hope you had great holidays, and welcome back to the reality of a new year, a new decade. Ladies and gentlemen, it is 2020, and we have asked folks to share their New Year's resolutions uh, relating uh, to their eating uh, and cooking and entertaining world. Uh, we're not talking about losing weight or getting more exercise, uh, but that could be a part of it. We want to hear about uh, food trends, uh, new ideas, uh, and again, resolutions, things you want to try uh, in the new upcoming year. Right before the break, I was talking about the great pot roast cook-off that Carol and I had a few years ago, and we I thought it was between myself and Robert St. John, but Carol has corrected me. The cook-off was between Carol and I. Carol used Robert St. John's recipe, and I used one of my own. And we started talking about this regarding Malcolm's resolution of putting more people around our tables and uh, and communal eating. And one day, I think we were kind of bored, and it was on a Sunday, and we started talking about whose pot roast was better. Uh-huh. So we rounded up a group of friends, came over to my house, and we cooked your famous pot roast, the Lord is My Shepherd Sunday pot roast, right? which was your own family recipe. Correct. And me not having a family recipe, I turned to Robert St. John, which is always a good place to turn. Absolutely. And we invited a bunch of friends over to share in the pot roasts, and they judged which was the better, and I lost. I think it was rigged. <laughs> Uh, I I remember that we invited our mutual friend, Peyton Prosper, only, well, not only because, but because he loves to eat. He is a bachelor, as we say, and is a great guest around any table. And as I remember, Malcolm, I think, you know, I think the whole thing was rigged. But there were two very different pot roasts. And we had a great time. And yours actually came from your family in Wiggins. It was the pot roast y'all put on the stove every Sunday before you went to church, which is how a pot roast mostly turns right. up on the table. Yes, I've eaten pot roast every Sunday uh, of, of my life, probably up until I was uh, off to college in my 20s. But uh, So, yeah, uh, the recipe uh, was, was my grandparents. I called it the Lord is my shepherd because we cooked it on Sunday. Uh, and uh, I will share the recipe, uh, and I start off by saying this is how I come to cook a roast, and, and it goes on and on, and uh, the recipe's here. I'll be happy to share it, but first, we have a caller. Timothy's calling from Louisiana. Timothy, what's going on, my friend? Good morning. Well, I'm, uh, I'm trying to internationalize my cooking. That's so a good I thing. Two, I learned two new dishes from Africa last year, and I want to expand more on that. And I remember there used to be... Uh, there may be a African grocery store in Jackson. Is it still there? I was there 15, 12 years ago, I think. I'm not familiar with an African uh, grocery store, but I'm I'm certain that there are some small grocery stores in communities around Jackson that uh, uh-huh. cater to African Americans, and they may stock some certain items. So I, I'm not familiar with it. Carol, are you? Uh-huh. No, no, I'm not. Uh, yeah, some of the Asian grocery stores carry mm-hmm. some of the, yeah. you know, some of the more interesting ingredients. And you yeah, might I find one of those over here that's real good. Yeah, and then of course there's always the internet. 
Yes, yes. But I like to shop, you know, and, and look. And, you know, sometimes you can go into a place, you know, and um, go in for one thing, and you find something you didn't even know existed. You are so right. I mean, that is the beauty of going into ethnic grocery stores. But uh, interesting that you bring up African cooking because West African cooking is one of the trends that uh, I saw as I researched all these all these different food writers and uh, data miners and researchers that study what we do. So West African cooking is making a comeback, which means. Well, it's not making a comeback. It's making It's a, just hot. Yes, yeah. it's hot. And uh, so that means we'll probably be seeing some ingredients in our grocery stores. Yeah, I've been doing some Central African peri-peri chicken and and um, uh, pumpkin stew. Mm. You know? That uh, sounds great. I never had pumpkin as a savory dish until I ate it this way, you know. So what got you interested in African cooking, Timothy? Well, I recall my second and favorite wife, who was Nigerian-Italian. What a combination. Yes, and so our our dining table was really broad, buddy. And um, the Italian side of her was also Jewish, so... um, Wow. You know, we, we ate very broad in our taste you know absolutely well it sounds fascinating and it sounds like you're on to a good trend here of uh, researching and preparing uh, african meals and using african uh, ingredients um we appreciate you calling timothy uh it sounds like you're on the road somewhere hey i'm driving down the dirt road well we appreciate the, the call thanks. have a good one y'all all right man thanks for calling um so tell us a little bit more, Carol, about that trend, that West African trend. Well, um, not only West African, but here's here's something really that, that harks from what he's talking about. It's called Itameshi, which is a trend in Japan where they are combining Italian food and Japanese food. Oh. And lots of Japanese chefs are going to Italy to really learn Italian food. But a lot of their... You know, noodles, you have noodles in Japan, you have pasta in Italy. Uh, but those are two interesting cuisines to mesh, just like Italian and Nigerian. Yeah, and, and I think that that's really one of the fun parts is is meshing up uh, these cuisines, taking old recipes and tearing them apart and, and tweaking them a little bit, changing ingredients, trying, yeah. experimenting. And we've talked to two chefs in the past three months who are cooking West African Dishes. That's, you know, Carla Hall, uh, formerly of The Chew on television, and then our own Enrica Williams from Jackson. Absolutely. And her uh, her sweet potato soup has some African, you know, ingredients in it, but she does quite a few West African dishes. Well, you know, we've taken, we, the, the Southern palate, we've taken lots from the West African uh, traditions, the gumbo using uh, the filet, uh, uh, the okra, all of this, uh, these things we think are Southern yeah, are really and, West African. Yeah, we were talking about black-eyed peas, right. too. You know, black-eyed peas were in North Africa. They were all over Africa and end up all over the world, but they were one of the staples of uh, the enslaved people's cooking. All right, well, let's get back to the trends. Now, some of the... the 2019 trends that we saw were oat milk, right? 
the Impossible Burger. Everybody who watches television has been inundated with by the Impossible Burger and Beyond Burger. Right, and and the sweet corn uh, grilled. Uh, I guess it'd be street corn, Mexican street corn. Now that's one I've tried. Where you you, you buy it, the husk is still on, it's grilled, and and you eat it. It has a lot of milk yes. in it. A lot of them have a, a lot of milk. In I've them. also tried the avocado toast, which is a hot thing here, coming to a close in 2019. There are lots of restaurants featuring the avocado toast. Uh, what other ones, Carol? What's what's CBD? CBD is. Cannabidol, it's the cannabis derivative. derivative. Oh, okay. I can't say the word. It's a hemp Canna, Cannabidol. <laughs> cannabinoid. Cannabinoids. Cannabinoids. There you go. Uh, it's it's going to make you chill out when you uh, eat. But that's a bit, stoned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's a... I don't believe it You're has. Eat and get I don't believe it has THC. Uh, yeah, it is, doesn't have the THC. Uh, which is a THC, but they're putting Java it, knows all about yeah, this. Yeah, but they're, <laughs> thanks, Java. They're putting it. Uh, you're putting it in drinks. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Putting it in snacks and in food, even in pet food, so your pets can really chill, chill out. out. Okay. All right. So let's. From that was the 2019 ones. What about the 2020 ones, Carol? What is there's one about alt meat, alternative meats. Of course, we've talked about that. Plant based meat alternatives. Well, yeah, we've talked about Beyond Meat and Impossible Burgers, but um, a, a big trend is a combination of vegetables and and meat because some people really love meat, but they want to cut back on their consumption, but right. not just go cold turkey, as we say. <laughs> no. They're blends of burgers with both uh, veg and and beef. All right. We got a caller. Uh, Nope, we don't have a caller. Thought we had a caller. He went away. Sometimes it happens. Now, there's also the vegan comfort food movement. Yeah, vegan food is going more, you know, more mainstream. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of dishes that are. You know, more like like stews and uh, yeah, things that that everybody would like. You don't have to label it right. as vegan food, but it is. Yes, and yeah. so yeah, vegan so goes it, mainstream. Yeah, vegan goes mainstream. And also, there is this huge mocktail movement: the alcohol-free uh, drink, the sober socializing. And I love that term, sober socializing. And it it goes back again to the millennials and Gen Z generation. They are not uh, big consumers of alcohol like the baby boomer, like yeah. the baby boomers are. So, not only are you seeing these wonderful and exotic drinks on menus that have absolutely no alcohol, they're also alcohol drinks that have uh, very low alcohol. You know, I think uh, things are rated ABV, alcohol by volume. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're very low low volume. And there are also non-alcoholic beers. Uh, I saw Heineken has one they're promoting that has zero. I think the, the early NAs, the non-alcoholic beers, had a little bit of alcohol. But now I think they are making them with zero uh, alcohol in them. Um, 
so that's uh, another trend. And, you know, I wonder uh, about the uh, liquor industry and the wine industry, uh, how this affects them, if at all, or if this is just people are cutting back a little and doing a lot of other stuff. Yeah, but, you know, we'll be seeing wine in cans, too. That's a new trend. Those seltzers, those yep. alcohol-laced seltzers are yep. the hot thing. Hard Claw and others. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And kombucha. Kombucha. I love a kombucha. All right, time for a kombucha break. Uh, we're going to take a little break and come back uh, for our final segment of Deep South Dining. Don't be afraid to give us a call, 1-877-672-7464. We'll talk about trends, 2020 trends, what's ahead, what's behind, share recipes, join in the conversation. We're always glad to have you. Carol and I will be right back after this short break. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White with Carol Puckett. We're so glad you are tuned in on this Sunday. The first, I mean Sunday, on this Monday. It's the first show of 2020. So we're glad you're here. Uh, during the break, two callers called, didn't want to hang on, but had questions. Uh, one was about the elite restaurant on Capitol Street, 60-some-odd years in business, uh, the Zabukas family. Um, they have decided to close. It's official. I was in there on Friday and spoke with the owner, Chuck, uh, and his family have decided to, to give up. Uh, the elite, they <clears throat> they hate it. Uh, I think the construction uh, and the redesign of the two-waying of Capitol Street was, was tough on them. But uh, they are trying to sell both the property uh, and the restaurant. They would love for a young, innovative uh, restaurateur to come in, an entrepreneur to come in and take over the elite. Uh, it is ideally located between a building that's about to have a uh, hundred plus apartments uh, in the top of it, uh, sort of a revitalized Capitol Street. Uh, so, if you're interested uh, in the elite, uh, I can hook you up with the owner. It is for sale. Uh, they own the lot next door uh, and the building proper. What a loss for Jackson! You know, yeah. one of the great old Greek families, 1947. 1947. That's... I think about the enchilada plate with the chopped onions on top. The rose. Uh, the rose. The beautiful yeast rose. The um, the cream gravy on the veal cutlets, uh, a great breakfast place. Um, what a loss. But I hope, being the optimist that I am, I hope some uh, young, uh, in- enterprising restaurateur will come in and buy it uh, and, and bring it back. If you're interested in being uh, in the restaurant business uh, on Capitol Street. Come on down. Come on down. And, and we also had a caller who asked uh, for me to elaborate on the wet salad that my grandmother uh, would serve on Sundays. A wet salad is a chopped salad, lettuce, vegetables, tomatoes, chopped uh, in a bowl, and then tossed uh, in a dressing, a, a dressing of mayonnaise and lemon juice. Uh, old school, uh, so when you get the salad, it's wet. It's already pre-tossed, 
uh, you don't add the dressing. It's already built in. So that's what a wet salad is. Onions. Yeah, and I want to talk about the Delta wet salads, too, because theirs are a little bit different. Uh, the Italian restaurants in the Delta, you know, we had lots of Sicilians come and settle in the Mississippi Delta back in the 30s. But I'm thinking of current restaurants like Lillo's uh, in Leland, Gardena's, Doe's, and Lusco's. And like you're saying, it's chopped iceberg, but it's more of a uh, a vinaigrette. But it's uh, it's very, very wet. Very wet. And I think we've talked before about Aunt Florence at Doe's with the big giant salad bowl making the wet salad and that Delta brides would bring in their wooden salad bowls for her to use making the wet salad to season, to season the bowls. To season them. Yes. So that's what what we mean when we say a wet salad. So back to some of our what we see as trends uh, in 2020. Uh, one, Carol, that you, you brought to my attention is this concept of ghost kitchens. I just love that name. Talk uh, talk to us a little bit about <laughs> ghost, ghost kitchens. kitchens. Well, because of the the increase in the takeout business, it's not just an increase; it is a surge. It is a tsunami in uh, home delivery and takeout. Ghost kitchens are popping up all over everywhere that are not dine in restaurants. They simply exist to make food to be picked up or. Uh, yeah, yeah, carried out by one of the, one of the dining. Yeah, deli- delivery food. Right. So there's. So there's, they may or may not be a restaurant. They well, just there's may be not a restaurant. A, ki- a kitchen it, set up somewhere. It's a ghost run by ghost. But it is. It's so popular that even you know, big restaurant companies are getting. I mean, there's. It's going to be a thing, Malcolm. All right. Here's another thing. Uh, more accommodating of dietary restrictions. You, more and more servers ask about dietary issues and allergies, and that's real important. Yeah, it's it's a big change in the restaurant business. Instead of you know looking at you mean or you know heavy breaths, you know, restaurants are are welcoming because a lot of people have issues. They you know no no nuts, gluten free. Um, Vegetarian, vegan, and restaurants are getting you know really on the bandwagon with that. Kids menus, a little uh, more sophistication. We're not talking chicken nuggets and French fries. You anymore. cannot get away with chicken nuggets and French fries. Either ki- kids menus are going away, or they are going to reflect the sophistication that kids have today. I mean, when you have four and five year olds eating sushi and mm-hmm. other dishes at home, you know, chicken nuggets aren't going to do. Correct. Healthier uh, restaurant kitchen staffs. No more pirate ship a la Sean Brock, but more mindfulness and, and, and sense of healthier habits for the staff. Yeah, and it was interesting when Sean Brock was here talking to him because he said his first restaurant, it was like a pirate ship. Right. Yeah, you know, with crazy you know, people doing crazy things and heavy metal music and you know unhealthy right. habits and staying up all night after the shift and that's been the restaurant culture for a long time and uh, and that and that's rapidly changing especially with another trend more women more women in the who kitchen who are helming the kitchen or working in the kitchen and fewer of the bad boy chefs we're, we're yeah. tired of this we're tired of bad boy chefs uh the bad boys have been in bad trouble, and 
there's there's a new dynamic in the kitchen and the and the healthy kitchen also leads to more healthy food for the consumers uh it's cooked mindfully with healthy eating in mind i love what you told sean brock about the the pirate ship you told him it may be time to replace the pirate ship with a sailboat and he liked that yeah yeah <laughs> but it's 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 the truth that is a huge yeah change. Well, I grew up working in kitchens, and I know how chaotic and uh, undisciplined and and crazy it can be. And I also believe that the energy that goes into preparing the food is the energy that you consume when you eat it. Now, I'm not getting, you know, all metaphysical here, but I believe that's why at home when you cook a family meal and the kids participate and everybody stirs a little love in and cuts the va- when you do that yeah, the meal love in my intent. view uh, it, it, it's you know it comes out in the food and it and, and it's a more healthy now it's harder in restaurants because restaurants fill up with people at certain times of the day and they all want to eat at the same time and they all have to leave at the same time and they all want their check and they all got to get back to work and there's this insane pressure to feed everybody between 11 and 1 and, and again, at between 6 and 9. And, and, and it's you can't lay back and think, oh, yeah, I think I'll meditate over these sautéed mushrooms. No. <laughs> but I do love what one of my favorite chefs, uh, her name is Cassidy Dabney, and she is the chef at Blackberry Farm in Wallen, Tennessee. And, you know, she talked about uh, feeding Feeding their patron, she said, it's food to fuel the mind, the body, and the spirit. And if that's the intent that's put in the kitchen, the diner is going to feel that intent. There's also going to be more and more trends toward the culinary trips, the the food trips. Robert St. John and Elaine Trigiani, other people we know, take people uh, on trips and it's either all about the cuisine or it's about art and culture and cuisine. Yeah. And, and it's become and, you know, quite a I did a, deal. a number of, of those for years when I worked with Viking and worked with the Culinary Institute of America. And, and what we would do, and we did it in India and Vietnam and Thailand and Spain and Oaxaca, Mexico, my favorite place. You, know, you get down into the basics of the cuisine. To really learn a cuisine, you have to go in the market. You have to see the spices. You have to see the ingredients. And uh, that's that's hard to do sometimes from a cookbook. Right. So sign up for a culinary adventure. Go to Italy. Go to France. Uh, go yeah, to the Caribbean. Yeah, lots of them. Uh, it's a great vacation. Uh, often it's a cruise, uh, and there's a culinary component, but often not. You just go to your country of choice, and uh, you hook up with a culinary expert, and you spend either the entire trip or part of the trip uh, buying, visiting the, the olive gardens and the olive oil makers and the wineries uh, and, the, and the local gardeners and the cheese makers. It's, it's a beautiful way to take a break. I'm excited about 2020, Mal. We're going to do some cooking and eating. Absolutely. Whether it's at our own homes or somewhere exotic. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. It is funded by generous contributors like yourself. Our show was produced by the one and only Java Chapman. 
my co-host Carol Puckett and I. Thank you for tuning in. Please stay tuned for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey and Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell at 11. Join us next Monday, 9 o'clock in the morning for Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. 